Welcome to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. I'm Henry, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Monkley. Hi, I'm Jonathan, um, Digital Twin Fan Club epic fan. Excellent, and we're also joined by Vicky Reynolds. Hello. And Simon Evans. Hello, massive fan of Digital Twins. And of course, Neil Thompson. One of the biggest fans of Digital Twins. Hello, everyone. Okay, so the, the role of Digital Twin Cynic falls to Jonathan um, and occasionally to Vicky as well. So we have kind of like the, uh, the pros and the antis over here, which has been a format that's worked for us uh, over, the, over the years. So the first thing that we're going to answer today is uh, just a really easy question. So, um, hey, uh, what is a Digital Twin? Yeah, yeah. Take a that. unicorn. Oh, a unicorn. <laughs> it's something everyone talks about, but no one really knows what it means. Uh, okay. No one ever sees one. Um, yeah, no, well, it's, it's a really common misconception, actually, that a digital twin is essentially a really high level of detail geometrical representation. So basically, you have a physical asset and you have a, a very pretty digital version of that that tells you where everything is and, and what everything looks like. And sometimes there's sensors. Um, it's it's not. It's much more. Um, it's it, it's much more than that. You have to have a two-way communication between the virtual or digital and the physical asset, and they must affect each other for it to be a, a digital twin. Um, and also, very importantly, it's not a product. You can't go and you can't buy one from someone. Um, so uh, always be wary of people who say that they can sell you a digital twin. Sorry if you're here selling a digital twin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, uh, not sorry. I guess from, from my perspective, um, I, I'm, the, I'm the, the evangelist for the internet here, so from, from my perspective, um, a digital twin is just the mere extensibility of the internet. So I'm not gonna give you a history of the internet, but briefly, you know, we, we connected big ugly computers together, desktop computers, mobile phones, internet of things, the next phase is essentially connecting the rest of the built environment to the internet. Um, and all the things that we can understand about it by connecting them together is going to be really key. And that's how, if I had to do it in the simplest way, that it would be my explanation. Are we talking the twinternet now? Is that what we're talking about? Twinternet. Twin twin I'm not going to say what I think a digital twin is. I'm going to say what I think they're not. They're not laser scans and they're not 3D models. And okay. that, is, that has really grinded my gears over the last couple of years. And it I, really has. I think that's a really key one, isn't it? Because you hear the term digital twin and most of the time that's conceptualized as a 3D visualization. I think it's important to separate the visualization from the twin because in reality a twin, as you say, Vicky, it's, it's not a product. It's more of a methodology. And that methodology is really talking about using data correctly through the life cycle of your project, your asset, and connecting your assets together like we did for the internet. So then a question, Simon, would be, do you even need the geometry to have a digital twin? Well, quite. And do you at all? Because you can also have digital twins of systems, processes, organizations. They can exist for everything. But of course, in the built environment and what we see in this conference, we often see the 3D visualization and BIM, for example, as a manifestation of the twin. Mm. And therefore, that's what a lot of us get focused on. And I guess that's the thing. For me, it's really um, the, the interface between BIM and digital twins is something that we need to navigate. Because in other areas, uh, you know, digital twins came from manufacturing, where it was about product lifecycle manufacturing. Product. No, that's not what it is. Process lifecycle <laughs> life management. That's the one. PLM. That's all I know it as. So that 
is where it grew from. So then to take somebody's concept, and as um, uh, the, the great Michael Reeves said in our, our podcast where Simon and uh, Neil interviewed him, he was like, I don't know why you're all taking it so seriously. It was just an analogy. I was just trying to say, wouldn't it be cool if we have uh, processes, we have things that we want to manage, and then we had some system that mirrored that and that enabled that interface between them. And I think that's a really great reference also to when we were speaking to Michael and he was saying that people are getting really caught up in the definition of a twin. Mm. You know, you can go out there, you can search onto any scholarly website or Google and you'll find millions of definitions. They all kind of say the same thing, just the words in different order. But maybe what we should do is instead pivot and then focus on the description of what they do. So yeah. the purpose of what they're trying to deliver. I actually, sorry, um, I I was just going to say one of the biggest um, uh, problems is when people go out with achieving a digital twin as their end target. Um, As far as I'm concerned, a digital twin almost should be a happy accident. So you're solving problems using data, um, connecting your physical and your virtual assets and, oh look, we've got a digital twin. If you go out and you are targeting technology or targeting a thing as your output, you're no longer focusing on solving problems and that's where a lot of our problems start. So, 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 the thing I've really liked about the digital twin kind of concept is it was something Neil said to me when we originally came up with the idea of, I think our like fringe event two years ago, and I was saying, oh, digital twins really annoyed me because it was all over Bimshaw Live and everybody was shouting digital twin. And then you said to me something, it was something along like, imagine you sat getting your hair cut and you said to your barber, oh, I do building information models. It confuses him. But if you say I do digital twins, that narrative kind of works. And I think in, in my career, my last couple of years, the narrative with clients of explaining digital twins, 3D smart assets works a lot better than saying we're going to give you some BIM or we're going to give you some, it just, it, just, it, it seems to be working a lot better with clients as a discussion, yeah. irrelevant of getting into like an argument about what the definition is. Interestingly, as I've walked around this and people said, oh, what are you presenting? I said, oh, we're doing a panel on digital twins. And they said, oh, what's your definition? And my response is, it doesn't really matter because there's, you can spin it so many different ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I wonder if I can be selfish and ask a question, Henry, if that's okay. Uh, I, was, I was thinking, because we, we're kind of marking a full circle of our journey. So a bit of context, like the Digital Twin Fan Club started as a physical event as part of Digital Construction Week a few years ago. Um, and due to the pandemic, we flipped from doing physical events into creating a podcast. And, um, and we're attempting to record one right now. Um, and I, I wonder, we've been on a journey, we've spoken to lots of people, uh, really influential people. Uh, we've spoken to people from different industries. We have, I mean, we have unpublished episodes that we talk to people in the gaming industry, for example. What's, what's the one thing that has changed in your mind through the process of hosting this podcast? Wow. I mean, what a question. Digital twins are here to stay, and they're going to be part of our industry for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I think the thing that's changed um, for me is understanding that there is... Um, it's that story, but that story, we are... When we think we're coming out of our little built environment solos, silos, we're actually still inside the built environment silo. And actually we are going to be living in a world where the products that we're using are much more closely integrated with where they are put. So it isn't just a question of what needs replacing in the building, it's a question of 
um, how are we helping to optimize that system so that the heating is better? Because it's not just about should the doors be open, should the windows open, should they close? Those products that regulate the temperature themselves need to work better, and they can only work better if they are feeding information back from the built environment into their own life cycle. Uh, I think the thing that's, that's really uh, been hammered home to me since we've been doing this is that so many other industries are already producing digital twins and using them very successfully. Um, and it, they didn't have to go through the same kind of journey that we have with information management and then understanding data management. And there's lots of different reasons for that. Um, our procurement methods, for instance, are, are very unique. Um, and the other industries haven't necessarily had to battle with that. But the fact is, the use cases are there. Um, it was fantastic, the, um, the conversation that we had with the CTO of Ocado, for instance, and yeah. the way that they're using smart machines, digital twins, just so organically, because they were solving problems, they used technology. And, and like I said before, you know, then they turned around and they were like, oh, look, we've got this, we've got this amazing thing. And, um, yeah. That was a really interesting episode because it was very much, I mean, in terms of this problem solving from A to B, that was, that was the problem that they were solving, was that they were trying to move things from A to B in the, a more efficient way. And it was, uh, it was really eye-opening because I think we deal a lot with complexity in the built environment, and that's what digital twins are going to help us resolve. So to, to, was, to answer your question of what's changed, I think what's really interesting is two years ago when we first started this, um, everyone was talking about digital twins because it was really starting to go up that hype cycle curve. You know, yeah. everyone's like, "Wow, this glamorous thing!" And you'd say, "By the way, this is this is not new. It's been around since like Apollo 13 days." And I was like, "Oh, really? Wow, that's that's fascinating." But the fact, the fixation at the time was on, "I want a digital twin of my thing." Yeah. What's happened over the last two years or so? People have realised actually, it's not about the twin. A twin's really exciting. It's more about, to Neil's point, when you start connecting twins together, and that exchange of information between the twins is what gets people really fired up. And this is where I'm gonna name drop some of our colleagues in the back actually here from CDBB and the work that they're doing on the National Digital Twin Program. We can see that over the last two years, that has increased dramatically in traction, in what it's achieving, what it's doing, and also what people understand about it. So I think that's the biggest change. It's gone from being, I want a twin of my little thing, to actually, what happens if we connect the entire built environment or all of society? Wow, look at the possibilities. It's definitely got clients excited over the idea of having a smart building. That's like a basic level for having their digital twin of their uh, digital twin smart building. It's a fine line. Uh, as this is a podcast, I think we should get some hands and get some client, uh, some crowd I interaction. We may have to shout as it's a, a podcast. We I think if we, take, we, should we should run around with a microphone. Oh, okay. All right. We're, just we're, thinking, have we actually explained the digital twin fan club are? Yeah. Does anyone? <laughs> a lot of people probably have never heard us before. <laughs> And we're name-dropping episodes, and then I, I, who are you, five people on stage? Uh, I, th I think with our pure levels of chemistry, they're working out that <laughs> yeah. we're, we're a well-oiled machine. <laughs> Except pod, normally we'll have our own mics. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. They're usually a lot more chaotic when we record them as well. So is everyone happy with the... Is anyone, like, confused about what a digital twin is? Show of hands. Is how there, much, how it, much confusion do we have? Is anybody having? angry about digital twins? Put your hand up if you're angry about digital twins. Angry? Why would you be angry? Because <laughs> they're unicorns. Then I want to go hear what they've got to say. I want to hear what they've got to go say. I'm, I'm a little person. bit angry. Yeah. I'm, I'm, li I'm a little bit angry I'm a bit around the marketing. That you're, you're smiling as you're saying that. <laughs> yeah. It's quite sinister. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm angry at the, the, the marketing around them and, and how it's almost been bastardized and, and turned into a sales feature, essentially. Um, I, I don't know how many people in the audience have had someone approach them and attempt to sell them a digital twin. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a couple of okay, hands well, up. We have. Yeah. I have got a few people. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's interesting. Just, I wonder if they'd be willing to. Uh, if sorry, sorry just going to challenge the audience like. there. Either their headphones are off and they listen to another channel, or nobody's been sold a digital twin before, which I think no, is ridiculous. Really hands. Two yeah. hands of the whole audience. Half yeah. this show has digital twins on uh, their hands. There we go. There's more hands. <laughs> right. There we go. Okay. Right. A couple more hands. Right. Yeah. You, so you, you, we needed Simon to be on the hype train. Like, come on, what really? Who's the poll again? Do the poll again. Yeah. Hundred percent. So who here has been sold the digital twin today or yesterday? Everyone's being wow. brave now. Four people, five people. As a podcast, you might have to explain how many hands went up. Um, we did. We said fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Edit that out, Henry. <laughs> they always give me the editing jobs to do. Like, oh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna cut that. Cut I'm not gonna cut that. So no, it's gonna be. <laughs> I think the, was the next question about. What was the next question? Henry? We were going to go with um, how will uh, digital twins save the world once we've decided that they're a real thing uh, and not that we all hate them and hate everyone who has anything to do with them. So, uh, which is not true. Looks over to national digital twin person. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, can digital twins save the world? No. Okay, next question. <laughs> no. Well, I mean... I'll just build on that slightly. Yes. They can support saving the world, particularly from a climate perspective, decarbonisation, improving assets, improving social uh, outcomes for infrastructure, but they'll be a part of a, a large collection of other initiatives. So this is where uh, Jonathan and I are going to get in a fight, because <laughs> yeah. I, I say yes because of how else. So we need to make some really complicated decisions. And these complicated decisions about how the systems of systems, both natural and built, come together to live in harmony can't be done on paper, can't be done through a human conversation. We have to make some pretty tough decisions that have to be data-driven. They have to be driven by evidence. I think a lot of policy, um, I'm from the government here, uh, a lot of policy is essentially driven, I, I, you know, there is, there's high levels of analysis that has made, but sort of analysis actually represents people, that actually represents the state of our uh, biome ecosystem, whatever, um, is is it need, needs a better information and data management system? So for me, it's yes, and there's no other there's no other way to do it. There's no other way okay. to make those data driven decisions. I would say that it's um, it, it's a no if if they are siloed. So data is only as good as the analysis behind it, which um, to a point will be done by machines, but has to be then interpreted and put into action by human beings. So a digital twin alone is not going to solve any problems. We can collect all the data and we can do all this kind of sexy analysis, but if we don't act on that and if we don't make changes, um, then uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. Okay, let's uh, go. We've got a question from the audience. Could you introduce yourself as well before you ask the question? Hi, my name is Raquel. I'm from Luxembourg. Um, is the manufacturers involved on this? Just simple. Yeah, good question. Good question. Um, I can answer that. I can answer that. So, um, yeah, I've been uh, in my day job um, working on the uh, 
pretend we don't have a day job in this podcast, don't we? Usually we all pretend like job, isn't it? yeah, we pretend we're all agnostic. And I'm like, okay, damn, I have to talk about my job now. Um, so uh, yeah, in the Centre for Digital Bit Britain, we've been working uh, with a number of uh, uh, manufacturing um, organisations. Uh, I think Neil remembers the names better than I do. AMRC. I'll do, I'll do the list. So we're working with the Advanced Research Manufacturing Centre, the High Value Manufacturing Catapult, the Institute of Engineering Technology, the Allen Turing Institute, the Construction Leadership Council, CWB, uh, Centre for Digital Britain, the Construction Innovation Hub, amongst some others. But uh, I, I don't want to steal Henry's thunder. But that's thank you. Working with lots of list, organisations. List, list is not my. This is not my jam. Yeah, yeah, I'm all mic'd up. Oh, you can hold on to it for heckling if you like. Um, so yes, so we are, we are, we are having that conversation, and what we're doing is we are looking at those key interfaces. You know, like I was saying before about how do we help um, manufacturers who are producing things improve their assets, and that's by um, giving them data about how it's working in the real world. But you can't just bring in that sort of, oh, we can just, we're just going to put loads of telemetry into our systems, et cetera, et cetera, and we're going to do that. So what we're doing is we're looking at our definitions, we're looking at our interconnections, and then we're kind of making recommendations on the research agenda that we're going to pursue um, about how to like actually solve some of those nuts and bolts. Let's, let's give it back the mic. See what yeah, it is to I was going to hand you the mic. Are they producing this like uh, on 3D, like a, um, a library or something, or or you're just giving? Is so, it well, you no, know no, the digital conception of it? This yeah. is the re manufacture so, the real thing. They're doing it in. They've been doing it in parallel, so they've already been doing their own definitions of this. So that's kind of another one of these issues about working in silos is that they've already done loads of this, so we've already done loads of this. So. What we're trying to do is make sure that when we need to share that data, we can create the protocol to let that happen. So we, we don't want to say, you know, the only data you can share is X, Y, Z, and we try and create, a, create um, an expansive list. We're trying to say that this is the interface that there is, and this is the protocol that we need to follow. To try and right-size that solution. I hope that answers your question. The, the one thing I would ask about can digital twins save the world, what, what oh. are we... What, just, just to dive in, it's been, it's been stuck in my head for ages. What are we trying to save, what are we saving the world from? That's, I think that's an interesting... From oh, ourselves, aren't we? Because yeah. we can talk aliens, yeah. we can talk climate, it's we can talk wars, aliens. podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what aspects of threat are digital twins saving the world from? I mean, climate crisis, right? Uh, climate. Well, no, 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 no. So here's an important thing. We can I go, mean, we can also, go also that... Yeah, yeah the, the planet's very, very important. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, we're going to tie these two things together. So the thing that's really important is one of the reasons why we're in trouble from a, um, a planetary perspective is because the products that are made in manufacturing integrated into the built environment are creating like negative impacts in terms of their performance. So we think about uh, you know, cars, boilers, the things that contribute to carbon emissions is because they haven't been designed in their use and how they're used into the wild. So the, the project that Henry's talking about is, well, how can we have a language that is common amongst, the, so the built environment can offer up its environment in a digital way so manufacturers can understand how their products perform. And that's step one. So at least we could have an idea of, well, are they actually that bad? We know they're that bad, we know they're bad but how are they bad? And then the next step on from that is that we have to build a basis of a, of a business model and a marketplace to enable the reuse um, recycling and repurposing of things that already exist. You know, 
this, uh, I've pointed up at the steelwork of this building so much in my talk. So if you think about the life cycle of this, bu this building, just knowing that this still works there, we have to know way more than that in terms of its future use. But anyway, I don't really have a monologue. I think an important, <laughs> an important point there actually is, so that to directly relate this to policy, um, there's things like the EU taxonomy and the, the forthcoming UK taxonomy, which will um, require clients, building owners, asset owners, to evidence their green credentials. So you can't just say anymore, this is how I estimate that I am being sustainable with my asset. You're going to have to provide data to prove that you are being sustainable, not only in the build, but also in the operation of your asset. Um, and it's, it's fine whilst um, policymakers and uh, those reviewing that information feel like we don't have the capability to give them that evidence or that data. But as soon as we start to realize that we can have that information and that data, you're going to have to provide it. So in terms of digital twins saving the world, um, yes, saving the world, but also allowing you to comply with policy and legislation that's coming moving forward, the Building Safety Bill, the EU taxonomy, um, and I can name a couple of other things that um, are going to require you to be able to evidence what you're, uh, what you're saying you can do. And I think that raises uh, a really good point. A lot of the mechanisms that we currently have around sustainability, and by sustainability, I don't, I'm not talking about every single UN sustainability goal, I'm talking about the sort of carbon offsets, that sort of you know, uh, impact pollution, all those sorts of factors. So many of those tools are really, really blunt instruments. The bluntest of all, a spreadsheet. And it is someone's job to go into that spreadsheet and to estimate. They have to go and you know, they do some research and they do all that sort of stuff. Um, but the, the figures that we're producing, we have no idea how unsustainable we are. We have no idea. So yeah. going go back to that question of will they save the world and how will they save the world? So let's say, of course, we are saving the world from ourselves in some capacity. But I think the interesting part will be, well, that's great making these statements, but how do we go about doing it? And I think when I use a mantra that we hear a lot at the moment in the digital twin space around the phrase of collaborate on the rules, compete on the game. Now, what I mean by that is, is that naturally all firms and all organizations are incentivized to get their own potential commercial benefit or drive their own um, objectives. And you could argue we saw some of that out of COP and the watering down of certain things towards the end of the agreement. It was driven by individual economies having their own purpose. Yeah. Um, but if we're looking at it from a perspective of collaborating on the rules, competing on the game, or more broadly just collaborating, the only way we can achieve any of the things that we're talking about right here is by doing it collectively and by really integrating our physical and digital assets together. So basically, the digital twin is going to be a fundamental tool in fixing the climate crisis. I think it's going to be a fundamental tool for society because if you look at the digital twin in general and the broader concept of what it represents, which is converging physical and digital worlds together, we've seen a glimpse of what that looks like during the pandemic, yeah. where we've started to be more reliant on technology to fulfill our daily lives. Now, of course, many people think the pandemic means digital transformation has happened. No, going on Microsoft Teams every day does not mean you've digitally transformed. But the point is it's shown that the interconnection can bring benefit, but it can also bring challenges. So if we are connecting our worlds together closer and closer, that's going to be a benefit yeah. how we do it properly. Now, one thing I, I really want to highlight, though, is that it has to be an efficient digital twin. So collecting all the data and twinning everything 
is not efficient. That it, you know, data, and I said this earlier, data isn't free. We have this misconception. Collect all the data, and then when we need it, we'll use it, and we'll figure out what problems to solve with it later. Um, and that's fine, but if we're talking about sustainability and green credentials, that information is still being collected, it's being stored, it's being shared with people, it's being analyzed. All of that also takes power and takes effort. So I think um, we have to be sensible here at, we need to know what problems we're solving. So if we're talking about green credentials of a digital twin, figure out what your sustainability goals are and then develop the twin in a way that gives you the data you need to reach those goals rather than just, right, we're going to twin absolutely everything in this major asset. We're going to collect all the data and then we'll figure out what to do with it later. That's a really good point. There's some of the work that um, the researchers have uh, been doing um, inside uh, the Centre for Digital Built Britain um, do you want to just stay there while I've just finished my point? <laughs> Cheers, mate. Classic, classic meal. No, no, I need, to, I need to raise this point because there is a dark side to all of this as well in the sense that if we are collecting all of this data, who is using it, what purpose is it for, and how could that be used to exploit people, to uh, you know, cause really negative effects on people's lives? We need to be very mindful that uh, the more data that comes into our lives, the more careful we need to be about ethics and governance. Okay, over to the question. Hi there, can you just introduce yourself? Yes, uh, name is Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Uh, from Hi, Sweden. Joseph. Hi. So, you're saying that it's probably not, not advisable to just get someone to sell you a digital twin, as you said it, right? Um, and as a novice to the subject, wondering how do you go about like, creating one in a way, if you, if you can't buy it off the shelf, obviously, yeah. then what's the playbook for kind of going about in a structured way, wow. an efficient way? That's there's a lot of answers on that, aren't there? Are you, oh, you, no, I was, I was just going to say um, that the first thing is to identify your problem points. What is it that I, I want to solve? And then identify how you collect the data from the physical asset, um, how you then analyze that virtually, and, and how that then feeds back to the performance of the physical asset. So really just focusing on those relationships and the tools that are needed to solve that problem. And then, as I, as I said earlier, you sort of accidentally have a digital twin of that part of the asset as a, as a final product. The guys are probably going to all disagree with Well, me. I was going to go super technical, but I, I, I'll save that for the last. So I'm going to bring a real project into this that I'm currently working on. Oh, here we go. Selling his own stuff already. <laughs> no, no, I'm selling <laughs> so, so I've started working on a project or working or shadowing a team that are working on a, on a smart hospital, and it is really hard. It's not an easy... If someone says they can create you a digital twin in two months, they're lying. Um, it takes a heck of a lot of user engagement, it takes a heck of a lot of analysis, it needs structured data, it needs IoT tech, it needs advice, it needs just, it's a complex process. Does it need it? IoT tech? Uh, for a smart hospital, 100%. <laughs> no, it does. But, um, so, so what, Sam so is just, Sam is just goading you now. I'm okay. goading you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, to kind of go back to the question of how would you go about doing it? I mean, you could ask many of the people who have digital twin on their stand here and you'd get many different answers. I think a couple of things will probably ring true throughout. Firstly, as we've already said, a digital twin is, is not really a product. No one person can sell it to you, just like there's not one program you can make a CAD drawing with. In reality, what it's about is bringing together a constellation of technologies that together will answer the challenge you're trying to address. The other thing I'll say is that a digital twin is a journey, not a destination, by which I mean 
long term, there's this unicorn aspirational state of having a digital You've twin. You've already had your one use of unicorn this session. I've got multiple uses. I've even got some pin badges I can give out later. Oh, that's right. Okay, You've got fine. this aspirational vision of what you can get to, but in reality, technology, but more likely the people change aspect, won't allow you to get there. So it's about understanding what's the immediate use case you can get to and you can do and iterate around. So the journey, not destination. And okay, I'm going to go. Gonna, uh, I've got one more. Oh, got one more. I'm so sorry, oh, Sam. Carry on. on. Carry on, Sam. And just in the way it's not a technology, it really is about a methodology instead. And that methodology is about how you can better use data through the life cycle of the asset or project to answer questions. So therefore, a digital twin is completely proportionate to what you're trying to achieve. You don't make a three-dimensional model of every nut and bolt, because in most cases, that will not answer your question. You find your use case, you work out how you can address that use case, you answer that use case, and then you iterate and answer the next use case, the next use case, moving along that journey towards the unicorn. The unicorn. The unicorn. So um, I, I think my answer actually works well with yours. Um, I think you should start small and prototype. So you need to think about the hardware layer that you're, you're going to have in terms of um, what are you sensing? What is the kind of network mesh that that's working with? I've gone, I've gone super nuts and bolts, I'm sorry. Um, you know, what are you sensing? How is that communicating to your system, which is probably on a server somewhere? Um, and then, so that's the kind of, you've got your physical set, your hardware, and then your data model in terms of, you know, what, what are you measuring? Why are you measuring it? Because there's, you know, you can take simple things like temperature and you're just, that's your data, that's fine, that's easy. But you can start to see inferences when you start collecting data for a number of sensors. If you start small with a prototype, I, I personally think you should over-sense, start with too much. You know, we know the problem's kind of over there, so we're going to throw all this stuff at it and we're going to see what works and then you kind of refine down through like a bit of an iterative process. Um, that's certainly a, a great kind of research and development approach to developing a digital twin. So they, no. I think that adds. Yeah, adds, I know, adds. I know. <laughs> I think Fight it, me. I wanted, so the over-sensing thing, Henry, is absolute insanity from a sustainability perspective. For, from a prototyping sense, uh, I think it's absolutely. There's a lot. Of, so we'll, let's you know do the bare minimum required to, to get to get yeah, these yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair, fair. But fair. the other thing I wanted to add to this because I think this is really key is being completely clear about what I call the, your decision architecture, yeah. and what that means is there's things that computers can do really well and allow the computers to do that. Um, the other thing is there's humans do things really well and what do they need to do to do their job and what I call the work about work how do we get them to make sure that they're always adding value not got onerous levels of bureaucracy and design that because I think if we look at all these tools in here today and I'm, some of these people are my good friends and I, I don't want to speak ill of them but but but, <laughs> but I will but when we talk about designing the outcome everybody always talks about the ultimate outcome for a citizen or a client or the outcome for a particular asset. What nobody does is actually think about the user interface of, of us in this industry that need to do our work. If anyone just added, added even just half a consideration of what our user interface is to get our jobs done, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be spending so much time on email, we wouldn't be spending so much time uh, with protracted decision-making processes, we could be making it more efficient. So mm -hmm. being completely clear about what the machines do well, being completely clear about what the humans are doing about the quality of their life and making the decisions really key. I think and that's actually, critical. Sorry, um, I've got, I'm going to jump in. Um, <laughs> no, that that um, 
whole piece on culture is massive, actually, because what we find in some scenarios is where tech takes over too much, people don't feel accountable anymore. And human beings still have to feel accountable for making decisions. Because in the crudest possible sense, you can't sue a machine. You know, if something goes wrong on I a project... I think they've tried that in America, though. Yeah, they? they probably have, yeah. Um, but, but we have to still feel a sense of responsibility for building things safely and appropriately. And if we take those decisions completely out of human hands, at the moment, we are not prepared for that level of risk. So I think that point about identifying what is machine's role and what is human's role is absolutely critical. Um, and also, you know, this, this brings change. And um, the, the biggest issue that I've had when attempting digital change is that people want to digitally transform, um, but they don't want to actually have to change anything they do. Um, so they want their role to stay exactly the same, but they want digital transformation at the same time, which is a, a slightly different problem to overcome. I took a slightly different thing away from what Neil said. I think he wants us all to make a digital twin of our businesses. Yeah, all right. No, he does. Okay. So Is that's it, good. Should we take uh, some have, more? We, have we been helpful? Have we been helpful? I good. think we've kind okay. of over-answered that question a bit, haven't we? Yeah, no. Sorry we, about we that. Had, you had like five different you. views that probably didn't match. Over there. <laughs> Could you introduce yourself, please, first? Thank you. Um, I'm Morgan from London, and I'm also a generalist in a different field other than a specialist in this area. So this might be kind of a basic question. But I mean, in your view, when it comes to the underlying software that actually builds these models and actually is able to you know, create these sort of virtual spaces, who, in your opinion, is the leader or best positioned to be the leader in like three to five years' time? Ooh. That is an amazing question. Absolutely no idea. Um, I'm going to say it's not about the technology, but... It's about the... I think there's going Thank to be, you, Simon, for bringing us on that I journey. Th I think there's going to be multiple. Um, yeah. It's about connecting different systems and different tools and different platforms. There does seem to be, in this space at the moment, there does seem to be unprecedented investment going on at the moment. So from just the people I've been talking to very recently, there is a lot of capital flooding into this area to invest in this. So my view is, and I just had a, a VC person over their shoulder just nod slowly and sinisterly. Yeah, there he is nodding away. Um, so the, um, there is unprecedented amount of capital coming into this space to solve these problems. So maybe, maybe that company doesn't exist yet. Or it's in its early phases. Well, uh, it's, it's just a thought. So then there's a categorization thing here. So there are those that handle data from a storage of compute perspective and we can name those today. I mean, Amazon, Google, yeah. That's it. Name, name it all. Yeah, that's kind of it. Microsoft. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so we've got, we've got those players going to play a very key role. And they're not going anywhere soon on two factors, pure accumulation of capital and capability to the trusts. You know, my organization isn't going to move from Microsoft anytime soon to a startup to change its uh, IT infrastructure. So there's that whole piece. But then... There's things that you do with the data that's on that infrastructure, and that is completely, and I mean, that's where the money's falling into. It's, it's, those act, it's the functions and actions of those data systems on top, and that's what's blown wide open right now. Um, and we, can, we don't know where those companies are going to come from. So, I'm going to just, just, just one point, Simon. I have we had uh, a while ago where you talked about the Twitter, the Twinternet. Is the one system going to be the data standards that, and interoperability standards that sit behind all of the different platforms that connect? I, I think there's two aspects to that. I think there will need to be standards, but there's also just a skill set for transferring data and creating those, those structures as well. I think it's going to be it's complex. 
can I add my two cents in a minute? The extension of the, um, the internet question there. I think it's a brilliant question. Um, and the reason I think it is so is because in every single market segment, you have different players who are really, really active in that space. So my domain, which is different to the, the rest of the panel, is I work in the energy sector. And we have a very different persona of digital twin vendors, if you will, than you do in the built environment. And the same if you look at manufacturing, same if you look at aerospace, and because manufacturing and aerospace have been around in this space for 20 years, they've already got their players, and you could name them today, who they are. And I think that's why it's exciting, because every single segment of the market has its own vendor that has become prominent, and they may or may not change over time. But I think the key is, and what you're seeing now with all these vendors, including the powerhouses that this industry is known for, is they're moving away from proprietary formats and into open collaborative formats. So the question therefore becomes, it doesn't actually matter who the vendor is, it's about how you can assemble the constellation of technologies because, for example, you can't go to one vendor and they will provide you the one-stop shop for all of your systems. It's going to be a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of this. And to so, Neil's point, you're never going to migrate away from SAP to Maximo in asset management because the hurdle cost of that is billions. So you're going to take a bit of that, a bit of this, a bit of that, join them all together in an open ecosystem where the data can flow between them and bam, you've got your twin. Because so, the twin is the constellation rather than the vendor itself. So I think it's going to be a U-shaped economy in a sense. Like you say, there's going to be some very big players on one end and then just a massive startup economy on the other. Uh, you know, all but, these, or not necessarily startups, necessarily there, just smaller organizations. There's, smaller an in, there's an interesting dynamic. So if we, if we treated, if we get about money for a moment and think about traffic on the internet, you know, the, the traffic onto the internet, um, you know, quite famously for anybody that's seen Squid Game and the demand that on Netflix, sorry, and the demand of Netflix has had from a data flow perspective on our internet infrastructure is, is quite profound. Um, now, are we going to measure the world by how big a company and how successful they are from a, how big they are from an IT services perspective or the utilization on the internet? So then it's a very different question because Netflix would be much bigger than Microsoft from that perspective, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I've got... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think Vicky has something to say yeah, on that. I, I, I was just going to say as well, um, it, it really depends on what, what it is a twin of. So, you know, we've had conversations before about is a building management system um, a, a twin? Uh, and in that instance, you don't have a need for geometry. And so... Oh, hello. In Sorry. that instance, uh, you don't have a need for geometry and therefore you'll, you'll require a different vendor or a different tool to if, you're, uh, if you have a twin of a, a physical asset, um, in, in which case, yeah, the likes of Autodesk will be a help there. I dropped the A-bomb. Um, and, and some of the other, like, visualization tools. Um. A-bomb, very Question? unfortunate choice of words. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> I am not in any way <laughs> suggesting. Vicky dropped the A-bomb here at DCW. Sorry, Vicky. What's it's the not, question? I've, I've got to say, we've been kept really on task by our questions. So thank you so much for what we've had. I think we have time for one more, and then Take we're gonna, one. then yeah. we're gonna have to wrap up. So edit that out, Henry. Leave the air bomb comment. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't be good. editing anything out of this one. It's all gold. How are you doing? I'm Tomas. Uh, we're uh, from HereWorks. We're an MSI based in Dublin, and I, I really want to get back to the the comment there about um, you mentioned over sensing. Um, I suppose for years, you know, we've been saying store everything. We'll figure out, you know, we won't know what insights we'll, we'll, we'll want to see looking back. And obviously, more recently, you're kind of looking at the cost of that data from an environmental point of view. Mm. You've spoken an awful lot about the environment and the kind of theme around the digital twins 
all afternoon here has been around the environment. We try to uh, focus a little more on the human and making them more comfortable and more productive and all that kind of stuff. What's the, how do you measure that trade-off between how much data to store and when does it become you know, unsustainable to store that data? I feel uh, like I have to yeah. defend myself from my co-panelists, so I, I shall. Uh, Thank you, Thomas. That's where I'll begin. Um, I think uh, the idea of being proportional is about um, why I was saying for oversensing was in the sense of in the sense of oversensing uh, was when you're developing a prototype, you don't necessarily know what the solution is at that point. So if you can prove it in one case that can then be expanded, then I think you can cut out all of the sensing that you know you don't need. And that's kind of why I was proposing oversensing was the idea that. It, we found from uh, some of our projects that actually when we oversensed, we could infer some extra information we didn't know we could do. We could infer the weight of, of trains and we could actually identify trains based on some sensors that were there for another purpose for, for, the, for the bridge. And we would never have done that if we'd have just solved the problem that we had. But at the same time, you wouldn't want every bridge sensed that same way because it would be it's all, yeah, it's all about proof of concept, like how much yeah. do you need to be able to prove a concept and probably a little bit more. So for instance, you wouldn't um, uh, collect all of the data on the Battersea Power Station redevelopment project, you know, 8.2 billion pounds worth of redevelopment, just censor the shit out of it and see what we come up with. No. It's never going to work. Um, whereas if you have the marketing suite within that environment, which is like a, a, few, a few rooms, a bathroom, um, some very good proof of concept areas, then yes, censor the shit out of that and, and see what you can do there. So it's all about a bit of common sense. But I would now. also argue, sorry, no, I hope I nobody's it. offended by, by, love, by the love language. Love the power, love the passion. Um, but also I would argue as well that the environmental and the human are ultimately the same thing. You know, if you're, if you're working towards what's best for the human experience, they have to be alive on a planet that's still here, you know, for them to have that experience, so. My favorite phrase around proof of concepts at the moment Minimum viable twin. Hmm. Yes. Ah, I like a good old MVT. Minimum viable twin. I love a good old MVT. Right, okay. Well, I think we are running out of time for today. Thank you so much for joining the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. I've been Henry Fenby-Taylor, and I feel like uh, I've learned that uh, in-person podcasts are better than online podcasts. But if we have any final thoughts, I'll start with Jonathan. So basically, there's a risk that digital twins are going to need too many data centers and they could kill the world. That's my, that's my closing comment. Oh, great, thanks. Okay, Vicky. I, I back that up and just uh, reiterate, a digital twin is not a product. You can't just buy one. Okay, Neil. Sorry. Um, uh, learn by doing, go and give it a go. Simon. They're becoming less of a unicorn every single year. Nice. Fucking so, unicorns. Soon they, will, <laughs> soon they will be fine stallions prancing across the landscape. Well, that's been the Digital Twin Fine Club podcast. Thank you very much for coming uh, and uh, listening to us today. I hope you'll come and check us out on SoundCloud and Spotify and LinkedIn. DigitalTwinFanClub.com. If anyone wants a t-shirt, ask Henry for sale, £10. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also impulsively bought a lot of t-shirts. <laughs> Modelled here nicely by Vicky. Uh, and and Neil as well. And Neil as well. Neil's we accidentally his. came dressed the same today. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Available in grey and black, all sizes, through to the loom. Perfect fit. Thank you, Simon. I mean, he's got... Anyway, thank you very much. Thank you, Henry.